the, the bottom, bottom line, line with, with Brad, Brad Taylor. Taylor on ESPN 1300 AM and 92.5 FM. ESPN Sports Radio 1300 and 92.5. Now for something completely different. We're gonna bring, bring, bring it all together. Because that's the bottom line. Bottom line. Bottom line. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on this overcast Saturday morning. 859-381-1313. That's the hotline number to call if you'd like to call and join in on the conversation. You can always email the show anytime. Bottom line Lex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Bottom Line Lex. On today's show, around 9.30 or so, our good friend Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast will join us to discuss the world of sports, including his red hot UFC picks. And we will see if Vince will uh, continue to join us on the lonely bandwagon that is uh, people who think Kentucky will not cover that seven-win total out in the desert. And we'll see if he's finally uh, reluctantly join us on the Brewers National League Central bandwagon, see if he's still there on that bandwagon this, with us this month. Big Blue Nation haters probably cashed in on the NBA draft this week. We'll explain. Our College of Football Handicapping Knowledge continues on this College Football Saturday with a look at the SEC. We all know that the SEC is expanding the 16 teams with Texas and Oklahoma coming soon. But what happened the last time the SEC expanded in 2012? But not only in the real world, but in our world out in the desert for the new teams, Texas A&M and Missouri, but for the rest of the league as well since then, the answers may surprise you, especially... If you're in the Big Blue Nation, we'll explain. And, of course, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, presented by Jake Cigar Bar, with a couple of Major League Baseball underdogs today. All that and much, much more on this week's Saturday edition of The Bottom Line. As always, we thank you so much for joining us. But first, FOMO. The Major League Baseball trade deadline came and went on Friday afternoon. And in case you haven't noticed, the trade deadline is like guys trying to pick up women at the bar. At the beginning of the night, you're super picky. You know, Even the supermodel hot women that walk in, they don't get the time of day because something better might show up down the line. But towards the end of the night, a little more desperation comes around. And right before the bartender says that you don't have to go home, but you got to get out of here when everyone else is taken... That chick with the voice that cracks mirrors and the breath that turns green when she talks, she ain't looking so bad bad now, is she? Uh Uh-huh. Same goes for Major League Baseball. A couple days before the deadline, teams are picky, and teams are driving hard bargains. But as that deadline approaches, that 220 hitter or that guy with a 4.75 ERA, they look like a keeper. And at this deadline, the Reds didn't exactly make a splash that the Reds fans and the Reds Nation had hoped for, only trading for some mediocre bullpen help. Michael Givens, an impressive 2.73 ERA in Colorado this season. Luis Sessa, a guy with a 2.82 ERA for the Yankees this season. And Justin Wilson, another decent reliever in his career, but a 7.50 ERA with the Yankees this season. But he's been with six teams and 
10 seasons now. By the way, why would you, if you're the Reds, why would you trade with the Yankees and think that they would give up guys if they were any good? Didn't the Reds learn anything by trading relief pitchers with the Yankees after the Eraldis Chapman trade, a.k.a. fleecing, a few years back? When the Yankees then flipped Chapman a few weeks, a few months later to the Cubs for all kinds of talent that they still have today? Uh-huh. But that Reds bullpen, Michael Lorenzen, activated off the IL. He pitched last night. So this bullpen has a completely different look now with Heath Hembry closing, DJ Antone and Lucas Sims. Not healthy, but allegedly on their way back soon. Would this team be in a better spot this year if they had made moves like this way before the trade deadline? Well, it can't be much worse than it is now. But there's more good news for the Reds. Where does it stop? Mike Moustakis, Nick Senzel, horrible underachievers in their Reds' careers. Now currently on rehab assignments, close to returning. And of course, Nick Castellanos, quite possibly the best hitter in the National League the first half of the season. He will also be back soon. So good times all around. Talk about the positive news, right? So conventional wisdom says that instead of making all these big blockbuster trades, the plan for this Reds team was to just tread water for just a few days or a week or so and wait for all these guys, Castellanos, Bustakas, Senzel, Sims, Antone, wait for all these guys to come back. And then hope to go about 35 and 10 down the stretch. What could possibly go wrong? That's easy money. Take it to the desert right now. Right? Even Nick Castellanos, the guy making $16 million this season, and in each of the next two seasons, but can opt out after any season, Castellanos was quoted as saying he felt very, very good about the trades that happened. Oh, really? I bet you do. Cassianos went on. He said, this sends such a good message to everybody, to the fan base, and to the players. We really see that, and we appreciate the front office and ownership for that. Ah, do you, Cassianos? Or are you just setting yourself up to take a little walk in a couple months? Neither here nor there. What about their other star outfielder, Jesse Winker? He was happy, too. He's quoted as saying, it's cool. We have an outstanding team here, and it's definitely very exciting. Getting to meet all the new guys, they all seem like outstanding guys. I'm happy that they're here. Boy, you talk about the politically correct machine. This guy must have watched Bull Durham before this uh, little quote machine he gets came out. So everybody's happy. So all the players are happy with the organization for trying to clean up their big glaring weakness, a horrible bullpen with a collective ERA ranking 29th in Major League Baseball, out of 30 teams. But the Reds didn't exactly go out and get Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman. By the way, Trevor Hoffman, very overrated. I digress. Another story for another day. But the Reds passed up on an opportunity this week that they might and will, in our opinion, regret come this offseason. Here on the bottom line, as I'm sure you already know, we have our finger on the pulse of society. It's not like we sit home every night watching that cool, hip Pat Sajak and the down-home dopiness of Wheel of Fortune. Wait, we actually do because we're forced to do that. That's another story for another day as well. But no, we know what the kids on the street are saying these days. Hey, man, I used to watch MTV and BET videos all the time back when I was younger. I walked the mean streets of the ATL for a long time, too. So I knew what was hip and happening. 
word to your mother. But in today's world, everybody uses acronyms. We don't have time to use syllables or text too many characters. We have to shorten everything. We don't have time. We're busy now. We don't have the attention deficit disorder everybody has. So if you text on a regular basis, you know, LOL, SMH, BRB, you know, you know them all. Some of them aren't even safe for radio or NSFW, not safe for work. But a lot of the good ones end in O. IMO, in my opinion. YOLO, you only live once. BOGO, buy one, get one free. FROYO, frozen yogurt. But the one the Reds used this week was one of my favorites. FOMO, fear of missing out. Our friends at Urban Dictionary defines FOMO as a state of mental or emotional strain caused by the fear of missing out, a form of social anxiety, a a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity or satisfying event, often aroused by posts seen on social media websites. You don't say. So the Reds Nation on all these social media sites, oh, they're thrilled with this bullpen, new bullpen that everybody has just celebrated now. It's the new Reds bullpen. But the Reds missed out on an opportunity that not many people are talking about this week. The chance to move Nick Castellanos, to get something, anything for him. Because before the trade deadline yesterday, the desert said the Reds had a 7% chance of winning their division and an 18% chance of making the playoffs. But not only that, but the teams ahead of the Reds all got stronger. The Brewers and Padres both got an all-star infielder. The Giants got Chris Bryant. The Mets got Javier Baez. And the Dodgers broke the bank. They got Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Trey Turner, one of the best 10 players in Major League Baseball today. And Scherzer just only becomes the fourth Cy Young winner on the Dodgers. No big deal. But the Reds got some relief pitchers, and that's it. Nothing approaching the haul that the teams above them in the standings got. But if you ask the Reds' general manager, Nick Crawl, he sounds like a guy breaking his arm, patting himself on the back for adding a few mediocre pitchers to a lousy bullpen and opting to stay with Kyle Farmer at shortstop. We knew we had to add some bullpen help, said Crawl. Then everything else was just trying to be as opportunistic as possible. We didn't find the players that we wanted on Friday, but I was excited with the players we ended up with. And I'm excited to work to see where this team can go. Uh Uh-huh. That's a spin doctor if I ever saw one. So Nick Crawl, very happy with himself. Also, he went on to say, I think that we've got a really good clubhouse, really good chemistry, and culture. You want to see that keep going, and we're excited to have the guys we have. Well, what are you supposed to say? That the guys are jerks in the clubhouse? Of course they have great chemistry and culture. That's the only thing you have going for you, apparently. But I'm sorry. As much as people disagree with this, you eventually have to go out on the field and produce it, no matter how well your players get along. And according to our friends of the desert, there have been seven games this season where the Reds have had a 75% or greater chance to win a game with the bullpen in and then went on to lose. Oh, by the way, the Reds are seven games behind the Brewers in the standings, in case you haven't noticed. But like we discussed last week before the trade deadline, hoping the Reds would hear us was that trading Nick Castellanos was the smart move. Yeah, it would piss off the fans. It would send a message to the current players saying that they don't think that they can make the playoffs this season. 
But Cassianos is going to leave this team after the season. And the Reds will get nothing for him now. You can give me all the, he loves it in Cincinnati. And, oh, he'll give the Reds a hometown discount stuff you want. He's gone. I'm sorry. And do you want Eugenio Suarez batting third for you next season? Nobody wants that. But that's where we are headed with this Reds team because they didn't make a move on Castellanos yesterday before the trade deadline. But here comes the Reds nation. Oh, you can't trade Castellanos now. The Reds are in a pennant race. Are they? You fight until the end. Never give up. Uh huh. That works great in the movies. That works great on TV. But this is the real world. And the Reds' FOMO, fear of missing out, prevents them from hoping the current roster can make a current run to the bank to playoffs. And sometimes the worst thing you can have in this world is hope. Because when you have false hope, it leads to emotional decisions. More often than not, those emotional decisions are often the wrong decisions. So when Nick Castellanos opts out of his contract this winter and is playing for another team next spring, the Reds will only have themselves to blame for getting nothing this year when they had the chance for it. And why is that? What's not to get emotional about this team right now? Joey Votto on a run that reminds people of his MVP season 11 long years ago. Jonathan India, he's going to finish either first or second in the Rookie of the Year voting. What's not to like? As I was driving into the luxurious ESPN Radio studios this morning, I got a text from our own ESPN Radio Reds expert, Alan Stein. Alan's forgotten more about baseball than I'll ever know, and I always respect his opinion. That's why he comes on this show. And this guy's got baseball stories from a lifetime in the sport. But Alan Stein has got Reds fever. And the only prescription is not more cowbell, but it's more Joey Votto. Alan gave his reasons how the Reds will make a run for the playoffs citing several games against teams that were huge sellers before the trade deadline, like the Cubs and the Nationals. All those players that we listed returning from injury, roster expansion that'll help the bullpen, and a starting rotation that's pitching very well right now. All good points, all spot-on correct points. But Allen also told us that the Reds are going to win 89 games, which will be enough to win the National League Central and or qualify for a wild card. And that's where we disagreed with him. The Reds aren't getting 89 wins. And even if they did, that's not enough to catch the Brewers, who are on pace to win 95, and it's not enough to catch the Padres for the wild card, and they're on pace to win 91. So not only do the Reds have a lot of things that have to happen for them, they need serious implosions from good teams that improve themselves at the trade deadline more than the Reds did. And we see this Reds team about mid-80s right now, an 85-win team at this point. But I will say this for Alan Stein's Reds predictions. He told us in March, go over that 82.5 win total out in the desert that the desert had posted for the Reds, and he might just get there, even though we had some doubt. Still do, actually, but that's okay. But the numbers tell us a much different story. We play the probabilities here on this show, and the odds are just against the Reds to make these playoffs. The only thing that prevented them from being sellers at the trade deadline was the FOMO, the fear of missing out. The only problem is what they are so scared of missing out on has a very low likelihood of happening anyway. And that will lead to some big-time second-guessing this offseason the moment Nick Castellanos opts out of his contract. Because even if everything falls right for this team in the final two months, it's going to take some serious choke jobs from teams that are already better than the Reds. 
and who made trades to bring in more talent at the deadline than the Reds did. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor Sports Talk from a handicapping perspective. Even with all this negativity, the Reds won again last night as a small underdog, this time in New York against the Mets. Sonny Gray uh, gave up 13 runs in his previous two starts, turned it around last night, quality start, one earned run, six innings pitched. The new bullpen setup guys, Michael Lorenzen, Michael Givens, each pitched a scoreless inning, and old schooler Amir Garrett tried his best to give up the uh, lead in the ninth like he usually does, but somehow the Reds survived that bullpen appearance, and the Reds won. Now only four games back in the wild card behind the Padres. Nobody, and I mean nobody, saw Jonathan India's Rookie of the Year run. Two home runs for him last night. When he's all said and done, he's going to be hitting over 300. He's going to be hitting a on-base percentage over 400. Since early May, he's hitting over 300 with an on-base percentage over 430. That's been amazing and does not get the attention it deserves. But the story last night, and as it has been for quite a while now for the Reds, is Joey Votto. Another home run last night. Seven games in a row with a home run. The record is eight, held by three guys. One guy you've never heard of uh, from the 50s. His name is Dale Long. Donnie Baseball himself, Don Mattingly, and Ken Griffey Jr. Today, Joey Votto will try to tie that record after his lousy start and his injury that kept him out for 28 games. Votto now on pace to finish the season with 33 home runs, which is truly incredible for a soon-to-be 38-year-old who, let's just face it, had two very mediocre seasons in 2019 and 2020. So all eyes in Major League Baseball on Joey Votto tonight as he goes for a Major League record. Joey Votto and his Lazarus-like raising from the dead. In his last 28 games, Votto 347 average, 13 home runs, 27 RBIs. And the Reds are 17-11 and 11 in those games. That's not a coincidence. But if Joey Votto is Lazarus rising from the dead, then Eugenio Suarez is Judas betraying his own. Suarez, 173 batting average on the year, and it's just getting worse as time goes on. In the last 16 games, excuse me, 18 games, Suarez, 9 for 65, 138 batting average. Here's the question about him. Will he make it to 200 this year, or will he be one of the few Major League players in the last 50 years to hit under 200 with over 500 at-bats? It's definitely possible. Suarez's war went above replacement on the season. Minus 2.3. No big deal. Just put put out a cardboard cutout out there. You'd have a better chance. But tonight, in a game you can hear on ESPN Radio, right here, 1,392.5 at 6.40 this evening. It's game two of this series between the Reds and Mets. Wade Miley for the Reds, 8-4, 2.86 ERA. Rich Hill for the Mets, 6-4, 3.95 ERA. Most of that was with Tampa in the American League, though. Wade Miley, if you believe in the war statistic, and we do, wins above replacement. Wade Miley's been the most valuable player on the Reds so far this year. In his last 10 starts, Miley 4-0, 2.42 ERA, and the Reds are 8-2 in those 10 games. David Bell, he's letting Miley go deep into games now, too. Combination of Miley pitching well and a lousy bullpen. Miley has thrown over 100 pitches each of the last three games. And the Reds, 12-6 when Miley starts on the season. Out in the desert, that's a return on investment of 27%. So Miley has been valuable both to the sabermetrics nerds and the investors this season. But there's no better spot the Reds have been in this year is when they're a road underdog, which they are today. We've got a sample size of 51 games now, so we can say that's a valid trend. As a road team this year, the Reds, 29-22, return on investment, 22.7%. 
In other words, if you put $1 on the Reds every time they played on the road this year, you'd be up $11.59. That's very good. And it gets better when the Reds are our road underdog, which they are today. Reds are 18-16. to 16. Return on investment, 26% in that spot. Outstanding. Rich Hill pitches for the Mets today. This guy's been around. He's been with a lot of teams. This is his second start with the Mets after his trade from Tampa last week. Tampa doesn't make many mistakes, so when you see him traded from Tampa, uh, you have to wonder what's in the uh, water with this guy. Tampa's in a pennant race themselves. Why would they give up on this guy? But Rich Hill, 41 years old, he's just been an average guy this year. 3.95 ERA, ERA plus of 101, which means he's 1% better than the average Major League pitcher. This is the guy on his 11th team in his career. The Rays were 11-8 and eight this year when Rich Hill started for them. So cashing tickets in Tampa, that's what he was doing. Again, why was Tampa trading him then? This is as smart a franchise as anybody in Major League Baseball, so it makes you wonder. In his first start with the Mets, Hill didn't look too good. Three earned runs and five innings against the Blue Jays. But the Mets, this season at home, 32-19 and 19, and 25-14 and 14 this season when they're favored, which they are today. The Mets, a minus 120 in this one, which is a cheap line on a division leader playing at home. But the Reds have actually won more games than the, than the Mets this year, 55-54. to 54. This is a tough game to handicap. Both teams have been impressive in today's spot. Both starting pitchers have shown well in these spots in the past. The back end of both teams' bullpen did not throw last night, so they're ready. Mets, a minus 120, probably have the slightest of values, but it's a proven spot that the Reds... Uh, Performed well in this season. But we do like under the total of 8.5. So we're rooting for defense. Anytime you see uh, two winning teams and then the public is against you, that uh, hits 55% of the time over the last 15 years in a sample size of over 3,000 occurrences. So, yeah, that's a proven winner. What does all this mean? If you take the Reds, we don't fault you, and we wish you luck tonight. But we won't be with you because we will be rooting against human achievement by looking for a low-scoring game. And that's the bottom line. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. The bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Coming up after the break, it's a college football Saturday here on the bottom line. We'll talk about Kentucky football and what happened the last time the SEC expanded, what happened out in the desert, and, of course, our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks, the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio, presented by Jake Cigar Bar. That's next right here on ESPN Radio 1,392.5. ESPN Radio 1,300.5. 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor. Sports talk from a handicapping perspective. Got a little chime in from our Reds expert, Alan Stein, during the break, saying he agrees that Castellanos is probably gone. Keyword probably there. We think he's definitely gone. Alan's still holding up, uh, still holding the torch, hoping that Castellanos will come back. I just don't see it. Now, I just don't see Castellanos coming back. He's going to make too much money. He's got an agent that will make him take the money. Ugh, I just, I just, The smart move was to trade him, but I understand why you didn't because you got to keep the fans involved this year. But, hey, here we go. Men love it. Women want to be around it. And the bookmakers want it canceled. It's the most profitable segment in Lexington Radio. Our Mac Daddy Stogie Picks presented by Jake Cigar Bar. How do we celebrate cashing a ticket in the desert? With a Mac Daddy Stogie from Jake Cigar Bar at Brandon Crossing. And as they say at Jake's, smoke local, drink local, and cross the line with us. Check them out online, jakescigarbar.com, and tell our friends Jake and Autumn that the bottom line sent you, and they'll give you the VIP treatment. That's jakescigarbar.com. NBA draft this week. The Desert had Isaiah Jackson at about 18 and a half as far as draft position for most of the week. 
But the buzz was heard all the way out in Nevada uh, as the time the draft came uh, to fruition. Jackson's number had gone all the way to 20 and a half. And the over players who had no faith in Kentucky cashed in yet again. Jackson went 22nd. And our old friend, Brandon B.J. Boston, the desert said 37 and a half earlier this week. Of course, Boston went 51st overall. So again, Kentucky haters cashed in on fading the Cats at the draft. And you wonder why Calipari, who's usually all over the NBA draft, he's in there, he's sitting at the tables. Yeah, he wasn't there this year. Huh. Wonder why he wasn't there. Huh. Amazing. Well, anyway, congrats to those who faded uh, the UK players in the draft. I don't assume that's too many of you, but a winning ticket is a winning ticket, even if it is against your local team. And as you've heard, uh, ad nauseum this week, Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC soon. Whether it's a big year, next year, or whatever, even Steve Spurrier got in on it, talking about Texas. Well, they can't win the Big 12 anyway, so they had to leave. Well, Spurrier still got it. And he's right. Texas won the Big 12 three times in 25 years, and none since 2009. Not exactly what you're led to believe when it comes to Texas football, who is now on their third head coach in seven seasons this year. But this is the first time we've seen the SEC expand. Heck, I remember back in olden times when the SEC had only 10 teams and there were no divisions and every team played uh, each other twice, home and away, on the basketball schedule. Ah, the good old days. But the SEC expanded in 2012 when A&M in Missouri came into the league and immediately Johnny Manziel won the Heisman and Missouri won the SEC East two years in a row. Nobody saw either of those coming. But since the uh, expansion... In 2012, when A&M and Missouri came, who's been the best teams? Well, straight up, of course, Alabama, Georgia, LSU. We all know those. Texas A&M, Missouri, they've both been over 500. And, of course, the worst since expansion, Arkansas, the very worst team, followed by Vandy, Kentucky, and Tennessee. It's amazing how Tennessee has dropped as far as they have. But what about the point spread? Who's covered the point spreads as teams? Not individual coaches, but since the expansion, which teams have been the best against the point spread? The top four, Alabama, LSU, Mississippi State, and Georgia. Those are the only four teams that have actually turned a profit out in the desert against the spread since the the league expanded in 2012 to 14 teams. Only four of the 10 teams, four of the 14 teams, have made you a profit in the desert. But the losers are plenty going in descending order. Missouri and Texas A&M, both about 500, but they still lose you money. Arkansas, third from the last. Tennessee, dead next to last in covering spreads. Dead last? I'm sorry, Big Blue Nation, but since the SEC expanded, the worst team against the point spread has been the Kentucky Wildcats. 43.6% since 2012, the season that A&M and Missouri came into the league. Now, I get it. That wasn't all Mark Stoops. That was uh, they were coaches here before him. I got, but yeah, most of it has been Mark Stoops. So although the program has improved, although expectations are much higher, still not cashing tickets. They didn't make you a profit even last year out in the desert, and even the year they went ten and three, they did not have a winning record against the spread. The Kentucky Wildcats did not. So you've been betting on Kentucky since uh, the league expanded. Yeah, you're probably eating ramen noodles quite a bit. So, yeah, there's your uh, College of Football handicapping knowledge for the, for, the, uh, for the day. Kentucky, not very good against the spread since the SEC expanded. But today, Major League Baseball, we got a couple of Mac Daddy Stogies. Two underdogs, very small underdogs that we like today. The Houston Astros are at the Giants. Both these teams have won 64 games. 
Both these teams very good, but I've got my guy Zach Greinke with a 10-3 record, 3.48 ERA, and a 1.12 whip. That's what we like to see. Alex Wood for the Giants, 9-3, 3.65 ERA. I think I've got the better team in the Astros. I know I've got the more rested bullpen in the Astros. They're coming off a win last night. We'll take the Astros, getting a little bit of money out in the desert. We'll take Zach Greinke, the better pitcher in this one. And another uh, game with uh, division leaders, so to speak, the Red Sox and the Rays playing down in Tampa. Rays a small favor, a small underdog, even though they're playing at home, mainly because they're going up against uh, Nathan Ivaldi for the Red Sox. He's 9-5, but a 3.49 ERA, but that whip, 1.18. Ryan Yarborough for the Rays, 6-4, bigger ERA, 4.38, but his whip right there with Ivaldi's 1.18 as well. So it's not like there's a huge difference in these two pitchers. It's just one has been a little more luckier, so to speak, than the other one. I've got the home team. I've got the better bullpen. Give us the Rays as a home dog today. So we're taking Astros and Rays. Those are your two Mac Daddy Stogies. When you're taking underdogs, heck, if you split these two, you make a profit. Astros and Rays, that's who we're taking tonight. Those are your Mac Daddy Stogies. Take those to the desert and to Jake's Cigar Bar and smoke them. But coming up after the break... We're going to talk sports with our good friend Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast. It's coming up next right here on ESPN Radio 1300 and 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. And joining us now, the man who needs no introduction of this show, he is the host of the Sports Stove Podcast. He is our good friend Vince Stover. Vince, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great watching the USA finish off the Czech Republic right now in basketball. So all's good in the world. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Kevin Durant's not going to complain at all after this game at all either. So yeah, it's just, I'm sure <laughs> it's it's very harmonized in that locker room. I'm sure. Uh, let's talk baseball though. The Reds. We're gonna we've got Reds fever here at ESPN Radio. I got people telling me we got we got Reds experts saying this is an 89 win team now. It's the playoff team now. Uh, have I lost my mind, or do I need to uh, get a prescription for more cowbell? Well, I'm not sure how you get to 89 wins with the roster they have. Uh, they didn't do anything to improve at the trade deadline. Uh, I mean, they're pretty well set for second place in the Central, but I'm not sure that's going to be enough to get into the wild card game come playoff season either. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. You watch these teams. You know how busy it was during the trade deadline. The National League West was all over it. Um, the Mets, you know, did stuff to improve. Outside of that, the Central didn't do anything other than sell. At least Chicago sold like crazy. Yeah. St. Louis and Cincinnati kind of stood pat. Milwaukee added a few small pieces. I mean, I think the way it sits right now in the Central is the way it ends the season. And I don't see but one team making the playoffs from the Central. Well, your Brewers did get. Uh, Escobar, the, the infielder from Arizona. And if you see, and you know more than I do, those corner infielders for the Brewers have been horrible this year, to say the least. So he can't help but improve them. But I don't think the Brewers needed to make the moves that uh, maybe those Western Division teams do because there's such a huge advantage of winning that division and on playing that wild card game. If you're a team like the Dodgers, you're sitting there, you're considered the best team in baseball. Now you just go out and get Max Scherzer, you know, one of the best pitchers in the league, Trey Turner, a top 10 player in all of baseball, and you still may have to play that wild card game and have a one-and-done uh, game against either the Giants or the Padres. 
Well, listen, if the Dodgers don't win the division, I will be shocked. I know San Francisco's played great all season long. They've continued, and they added Chris Bryant as well at the trade deadline. But the Dodgers, and adding Max Scherzer, adding Trey Turner, adding Danny Duffy, these are all guys that are going to come in and play important roles on this team. And with the injuries they've had, with the suspension of Trevor Bauer, or not suspension, I guess technically, but uh, what's probably going to be a season-long suspension for Trevor Bauer, they needed to do something. They've done it. If they get healthy, they're only three games back from San Francisco. That's just one series where you can make that back up. So the Dodgers are going to win the West. San Francisco will probably be in the uh, wild card with San Diego. So at the end of the day, the Dodgers are the best team in the National League, at least talent-wise, the best team in the National League. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor along with Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast, this trade deadline, uh, did you have you ever seen anything like this? I think this was kind of the most active we've ever had. Why do you think there were so many trades this year? I, I just think it's the way the sport's going. Yeah. Um, and it seems like every professional sport has gone this direction. But, uh, no, I've never seen anything like it. As a matter of fact, it was so busy. I was planning for my uh, one of my weekly episodes I kind of forgot about the NBA. I mean, I knew the draft was happening, but I didn't even think about big trades. And so I was only scheduling baseball guests <laughs> and because of the names that were out there. When you have names like Max Scherzer that are getting moved, when you have names Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo that are getting moved, you know, <clears throat> it just draws your attention to it. It was a, an incredibly fun week and a great trade deadline. And it, it's good for baseball. Baseball needs things that are going to attract fans. And that kind of stuff is going to do it. The desert says the Brewers have a 90% chance of winning the National League Central. Have you finally joined me on the bad wagon for good now? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, Just making sure. Who else, who else is going to challenge well, I'm just saying, you had a lot of, uh, you were wavering back and forth there in the springtime. I think the summertime has uh, cleared your eyes, so to speak. Just uh, between you and the desert, just making sure that you've got uh, are we still looking at the Astros in the American League as I am? Because I saw Jose Altuve hit a couple of home runs last night. He's figured out how to hit him without the little buzzer on his chest now. <laughs> yeah, listen, yeah, I still think the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. The White Sox got better at the trade deadline and by getting healthier here in the middle of the season. Um, so that's that's something to watch for. But at this point, you know, and Boston's good, but – to me, it's between the Astros and the White Sox, and I just think the Astros are the better team at this point. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, Vince Stover, Sports Stove Podcast. I think we're headed towards the end of the season where we're not going to have a whole lot of teams that are trying to make the playoffs, but they're jockeying right. for position to stay away from the wild card game. Is that the way you see it, too? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's, that's probably a good assessment. Hey, let's talk, uh, let's talk college football. University of Kentucky, they have a, uh, a quarterback controversy. There's a story in the Herald-Leader today. Uh, Will Levis, who all the experts, using the term experts very loosely, uh, said was the hands-down starter for this team, and uh, he's going to be competing for the job with Joey Chatwood and Bo Allen. And now everybody's saying, oh, Joey Chatwood looks like the best quarterback so far. Our friend, Go ahead. You, uh, Joey Gatewood. I'm sorry, Gatewood. Why did I say Chatwood? I'm thinking about that hot dog. I'm thinking about the hot dog eating guy. I'm sorry. That is just, yeah, it's been a long summer for me. Gatewood, I apologize. And uh, But the Herald-Leader says, 
Will Levis now could be Kentucky's starting quarterback this season. Is this all just media spin from the uh, insiders, quote-unquote, over at UK football, or is this something we really have to watch with Joey Chestnut, the hot dog eater, and uh, Will Levis? No, I think it's a legit competition, and I don't think it's a good thing uh, for Kentucky. Kentucky, Tennessee, I'm trying to think. They're they're kind of the only major schools, as far as Power 5 schools, that are having quarterback competitions as tightly as they are. Most people kind of know who their quarterback is right now. Kentucky's one of those schools that doesn't. And, you know, Gaywood's been in the program now. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's been in the, the program now. You'd like to think that he's the guy. Um, Levis comes in. He's got potential, obviously. Um, some of the national people kind of lean towards Levis uh-huh. uh, automatically. But at the same time, what I've learned over the last year especially is the national people don't tend to do their research on what the team's like and what's going on within the program already. So they're going off of, well, he came from Penn State. He's got to be better than what's at Kentucky. Well, you know, the coaches have seen Gatewood now for a couple of years. They've got Bo Allen there, too, which is not going to start. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a legit competition, and they need to figure it out sooner rather than later, in my opinion. Um, of course, you've got your first two games, first three games, that you can kind of play both of them and do whatever, I suppose. But at the end of the day, as a fan of college football, I think you want your team to know who their quarterback is by this point in the year. Wait a minute now, Ben Stover. We had Phil Steele on this show a couple of weeks ago, and he is the grand poobah of all college football nationally, and he told us Will Levis is going to start, barring injury, he's going to start all 12 games for Kentucky this year. Are you telling me that you're going against Phil Steele? I cannot imagine a Kentucky quarterback this season starting every single game. Uh, I think we are going to see a variety, at least in the early goings, unless something crazy happens with a injury or something like that, I think we're going to see at least two quarterbacks start in the first three games. ESPN Radio 1,300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, along with Vince Stover, who's throwing shade at UK football and Phil Steele this morning. He's coming with hammers (laughs) left and right. So, are we really supposed to believe in this Will Levis kid? He only started two games in two years at Penn State. He wasn't really a high, highly rated recruit coming out of high. He was only one of those three-star recruits. He wasn't one of these big, huge five-star guys. He's big. He's 6'3", 231. That means anything. I'm like you. I don't. This is the most unproven quarterback situation we've seen at Kentucky for a while. And that's saying something. I'm going to go on record. I think they're the worst collection of quarterbacks in the league. Now, they could come out opening day and throw for 500 yards against a lousy Monroe team. That's neither here nor there. I think we're looking at a big-time just downfall because we don't have anything at quarterback that we can see here in Lexington. Well, uh, that's an interesting statement you made. I, I'd put them above Vanderbilt, um, yeah. and I'd have to look. I'll know more. I'm doing my SEC preview later this week on Thursday, so I'm just starting my research into all the teams and everything, uh, and deep dives there. But you know, the thing that's un, it's unknown right now about Kentucky is you know you have the new offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. They claim they're going to throw the ball, which we've heard that before. Uh-huh. I mean, I think they're in a better quarterback situation now than they were with Scary Terry, so to say. Um, I I think it's a better situation than they've been in. It's just, are they going to be able to put it together, put the pieces together? For me, Kentucky is a huge question mark because I don't know about the quarterback and I don't know about the offensive system. Are they actually going to throw the ball 
or are they still going to be, you know, a dominant run run football team? And they've got the running backs to be a dominant run football team. They've got the offensive line to be an awesome uh, run football team. But you're not going to win the SEC or even the division by being a, a run-heavy team. Yeah, that Vanderbilt quarterback seals uh, 12 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio. Kentucky would have killed for that last year. So, yeah, it's not like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Kentucky, I think, is the worst quarterback situation in the entire league. But here's the key question that we ask everybody on this show, and I think you're the only person who's been with me. Over or under seven wins out in the desert for Kentucky football, Vince Stover. So I count six wins. Um, Uh I wouldn't be completely shocked if they made it to eight, uh, especially if the offense does what they say they're going to do. There's there's potential. Because they've got the, again, the offensive line is really good at Kentucky this year. And so that adds a lot of, of, of help to your offense if you can run the, the right system within it. Um, but I just, I'm just i counting them up, and I'm seeing six wins. You've got the Louisiana Monroe, Chattanooga, New Mexico State, and Vanderbilt. That's four wins guaranteed uh, right there. Then I think you're splitting Missouri and Mississippi State, and I think you're splitting Tennessee and Louisville. That's where I get the six wins from uh, there. And, and you know, If I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I was, I would go under. Well, that's your problem that you're not a betting man. But but what we're saying is it's if you're expecting eight wins, you mentioned the three cupcakes and then the three kind of Florida, Georgia, LSU that we're going to kind of give on the loss side, that means in the other six of those games, you've got to go five and one to get to eight wins. And that's what you're yeah. telling me. The likelihood of that happening, because these aren't like, you know, Kentucky's going to be a double-digit favorite in these games. You're talking about spreads a touchdown or less. And you're expecting Kentucky to win five of those six? And, you know, odds are, no pun intended, the odds are it's it's very difficult to win close games like that all year long. That's why I'm like you. I think six is much more likelier than eight. You've got the, the two home games, uh, SEC home games of Missouri and Tennessee. I just don't see them winning both of those games. Tennessee right. is getting a lot of, you know, everybody, especially here in Lexington, they're like, oh, Tennessee's horrible. They stink. But I'm telling you, listen, Tennessee's not going to win the division this year. They're not going to compete for the division this year. But Tennessee is a six, seven, eight win team also right there with Kentucky. And they're not a pushover this year. And, and if you overlook them, <laughs> it's going to be the year demise. And so to me, they, you know, they've got to win those home games. And I don't trust them to do that, uh, even against the Missouris and the Tennessees. I think they'll win one of them. But uh, And they should be, obviously, New Mexico State as well. That'll be at home right before the Louisville game. ESPN Radio 1,392.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor and Vince Stover from the Sports Stove Podcast. Uh, your thoughts on Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and is Kentucky football's uh, uprising over now because now they're never going to win the SEC? Well, I, I want to see what they're going to do division-wise and things like that, um, if they make any changes to how they're going to you know, split the division up. I think it's good overall for everybody. Um, it's good for the, the SEC. There'll be more money coming in uh, for every school because of it. I think it you know it, it stinks for A&M because their only recruiting uh, plus that they had over Texas was that they were in the SEC. And so that kind of stinks for them. Oklahoma, it's going to improve Oklahoma, I think, a ton. Um, to be able to add the SEC to their to their recruiting and things like that as well. So um, overall, I think it's good for everybody. It, it adds excitement. My question is: Is are they done? 
Uh, they're going to add more schools. Uh, they're going to bring other other people in and continue to work to grow. Because right now you're talking 2025. I think it happens earlier than that. But uh, that's what the the agreement is. And uh, you know, so maybe you see a few more schools come in. Next thing you know, you've got you know 16, 20 teams in the SEC. We'll see. You're a big Packers fan. Real quick, uh, Packers over or under 11 wins now, as you predicted months ago on this show, Aaron Rodgers back to where he belongs as a Packers quarterback. Well, predicted is a strong word. I, I would say I reported. Uh, it, was, it was there, guaranteed. Uh, they've won 13 the last the last two regular seasons. Uh, I don't, I mean, 11 wins is, is easily going to happen. You look at the division, the division's bad. Uh, 12, 13 wins again this season makes the most sense for them. Unless, and this is where drama comes in, um, something something could still go down very, very badly between Aaron Rodgers and the front office and and change things. But the, the talent is there in Green Bay. They're a 12-13 to 13 win team again this season, and they're legit Super Bowl contenders as well. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Vince Dover says over on the Packers, under on Kentucky football, over on Tennessee football. Speaking of red-hot picks from Vince Dover, it's a UFC night. What do you got? All right, uh, I'll give you two locks and then one dark horse. Uh, the main events, Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. Uriah Hall will win that one. He is uh, uh, currently an underdog, which surprises me in this fight. But Uriah Hall will win that one. Early on in the fight card, Jin Yu Frey, uh, she's at plus 125. She'll beat Ashley Yoder uh, tonight. And then the other one to watch for at plus 220, Jason Witt. He's going up against Brian Bar- uh, Bar- Barbarena. And uh, to me, I just don't understand why he's that that big of an underdog. So plus two twenty, Jason Witt. Uh, then the plus one seventy five, Uriah Hall, and plus one twenty five, Jin Yu Frey. He's the best in the business at giving those UFC picks. I can promise you that he has made you quite. A, he has cashed you quite a few tickets on this show over the past few months. Vince, tell us about your podcast and where we can find you on social media. Social media, uh, Twitter, you can find me at Sports Stove. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, the program airs Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8 p.m. on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. We're doing our college football previews. Tuesday will be the Suki, uh Big 12 and the Pac-12. And then on Thursday, we'll be doing the SEC preview live and also available always wherever you get your podcast, the Sports Stove Podcast. He's got great stuff, and he's a great guy. He's our friend Vince Stover. Vince, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, thanks, Brad. All right, buddy. That's Vince Stover. Make sure to follow his stuff. He's great, especially those UFC picks. Uh, coming up after the break, we'll get you ready for the day on ESPN Radio right here. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. ESPN Radio 1300, 92.5. Bottom line with Brad Taylor, sports talk from a handicapping perspective. We want to thank Vince Stover of the Sports Stove Podcast for joining us. He was great as always. He's a good guy. He's got great stuff. Make sure to check out his show. Make sure to listen to ESPN Radio tonight, 640. Reds and Mets. Mets a minus 120 in this one. Uh, this is tough to pick a side in this one. We do like the under 8.5. Two pretty good pitchers, two good teams. That's a good spot for the under, if you ask us. Under 8.5 is what we're doing. And uh, good Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock to do this all over again. Hey, what did we learn today on this show? That the uh, Reds kept their fan base and players with a positive frame of mind by not trading Nick Castellanos. But uh, come the winter, they might regret that. And uh, all baseball-related texts from our ESPN Radio Reds expert, Alan Stein, at 7.20 on a Saturday morning. That always gets our day off to a good start, so we thank him for that. 
And Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC might get an early push and an early rush based on what happened in 2012 when Texas A&M and Missouri joined the conference. So that's what we learned today on the bottom line. But make sure to join us tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. You can always email us anytime, bottomlinelex at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, at BottomLineLex. So until the next time, as always, may the winners be yours.